0: Good afternoon, everyone. Oops. Oh, it's good to see you. It's good to have the heater on in here. It is very good. so. It's nice to be warm and snug in here. And um, good afternoon to all of you watching online as well. So last week, Roy talked about Vincent Van Gogh and how. His spiritual journey motivated the paintings that are renowned today for their beauty and their emotive power. And he also mentioned last week that Van Gogh was heavily influenced and inspired by Rembrandt and promised that I would talk about him today. So here I am fulfilling that promise. Now, Van Gogh once sat in front or stood in front of one of Rembrandt's paintings of Isaac and Rebecca called The Jewish Bride. And he wrote to his brother and he said, that if he could trade 10 years of his life to be able to stand in front of this painting for two weeks with hardly any food, he would do it. I don't know if you've ever been inspired by art like that. Van Gogh told uh, others that Rembrandt is so deeply mysterious that he says things for which there are no words in any language. Why was Rembrandt so significant for Van Gogh and for artists throughout uh, history? And to answer this question, we have to look at uh, history, European history as a whole, because European art history is very much tied to Christian history. Because in the 4th century, remember, after Jesus' death and resurrection, you know, the, the, the small number of Christians that uh, were following him as they grew, they were a persecuted minority. So they were worshipping in caves, worshipping in homes, worshipping in underground tunnels. But by the 4th century, when Emperor, the Roman Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity, things changed drastically because he made Christianity the official state religion. And he converted all the pagan temples into Christian cathedrals. So he took out, you know, some of the statues that used to be for, for you know, Diana and Zeus are now statues of Mary and Jesus. Or, you know, they kind of changed a few things. They took away some ornaments and they brought in some new and said, okay, now you all come to church. And because Christianity now became the straight religion, um, the writings you know, the letters of Paul and Peter and James and John, um, as well as the Old Testament writings, were translated into Latin, brought together into a book called the Bible, which comes from the Latin word Biblia, literally books. That's where the word Bible uh, came from. And the state also appointed leaders for these churches called cardinals and bishops, etc. And so then, what happened was that the preaching, the teaching, and the spreading of the Bible message became more and more the work of the educated elites and the common people who were never really given a choice to convert in the first place or told what to believe since most of them couldn't read Latin and, of course, most of them did not have access to the Bible. Papermaking uh, did not come to Europe until the 11th century. And so up until then, the Bible were illustrated and copied by hand on papyrus by specialized, you know, scribes who had been educated in this, in this uh, field. And it would take years to copy a Bible. And so it was very expensive, and so very few people had access to the Bible. And so instead of the Bible, art was often used to communicate the message of the church. Architecture was, was utilized to inspire all and worship. So, for example, you've got this cathedral in Sicily built in the 12th century, and it's covered in these mosaic religious art depicting the stories of the Bible. The church and individual patrons commissioned works of art. You've got, of course, Leonardo da Vinci, 1495, painted The Last Supper because he was paid by the Duke of Milan to renovate a church. And this is a scene from the Bible where Jesus is eating his last meal with his disciples in the eve of his arrest. Michelangelo painted the creation of Adam from, in, uh, from 1508 to 1512 for the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And if you've been lucky enough to travel to Italy, uh, you might have seen it. One day, I hope to be able to go. Raphael painted the transfiguration of Jesus, uh, commissioned by Cardinal de' Medici, for the Narbonne Cathedral in France. And this was his very last painting before his death in 1520. So up until the 16th century, art was very much religious art commissioned by the church to decorate the cathedrals, the churches, the big public spaces to inspire people to worship and to relay the messages of the Bible. Well, something happened in history. Two things that were significant. They have been doing it for centuries. But it finally comes to Europe in 1450s, Gutenberg prints the Bible, the very first Bible printed in Europe, a book printed in Europe, the Latin translation. So then printing and and publishing and, and distributing becomes a lot more affordable. And then in 1517, a young German professor and priest comes along named Martin Luther, who reads a copy of the Bible and realizes that the Bible's teachings did not match the teachings of the church, and writes what's called the 95 Thesis of Arguments Against the Corruption of the Church, and because printing was available, his, his protests against the church became widely published and distributed, creating the Protestant movement of protesters against the corruption of the church. Martin Luther translated the Bible into German for the very first time. And other Protestant reformers like John Calvin translated into French, and everyone started translating it into their local language and and publishing it and distributing it and making the Bible a lot more accessible for the common uh, lay person. Art then changed. So before art was used to communicate these grandiose themes in these huge cathedrals, but now rather than depicting these grand schemes of uh, themes Protestant art was about a personal response to a personal god knowable to every ordinary person in addition Protestant churches did not want to have statues and huge paintings because they wanted uh, they saw the idolatry that they thought that could lead, lead, lead to um, instead of worshiping god and so Protestant churches ra- actually banned a lot of religious art from And that's the scene that Rembrandt paints here. And through the simple act of breaking bread, Rembrandt immortalizes the sanctity of a shared meal, that the revelation of the divine comes through ordinary life. One of the most famous biblical paintings that Rembrandt did is this one, and it's entitled The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it portrays the parable told by Jesus in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to the end. It says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. And so they began to celebrate. There's more to this story, and I encourage you later to read the rest of it in Luke chapter fifteen. Is a scene that Rembrandt painted in receiving back into her womb the one whom she was whom she made in her own image, the near blind eyes, the hands, the clock, the bent over body, they all call forth a divine maternal love marked by grief, desire, hope, and endless waiting. And Nguyen is referring to God, um, the way that God compared himself several times in the Bible as a mother. Isaiah chapter six, 6, verse 13, God says, As a mother comforts her child, so will I comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. And Nguyen saw in the parable and in the painting this incredible compassion of a parent. This painting of the return of the prodigal son was one of Rembrandt's final works, completed just before his death in 1669. Renowned British art historian Kenneth Clark called this a picture which those who have seen the original in St. Petersburg may be forgiven for claiming is the greatest picture ever. I think it's a very fitting masterpiece for Rembrandt's legacy because Rembrandt himself is very much like the prodigal son. Rembrandt Hetherlands. His parents were pretty well-to-do, and so they were very supportive of him going into the arts. Another nod to mothers, Rembrandt's mother was a big influence in his life. She was a religious woman, and she taught Rembrandt all the Bible stories that later inspired him to paint. In the biography of Rembrandt by Emile Michel, the author says, The scriptures as introduced to Rembrandt by his mother became a source of perpetual inspiration to him. And henceforth, he had no need to imitate the versions of biblical and gospel themes given by his predecessors. Studying them firsthand, his mind became more and more attuned to their beauties, and a spark kindled as he read. He found the germs of countless subjects which his creative genius reconstructed, giving them renewed vitality. Indeed, Rembrandt is known to have painted over 300 paintings inspired by the Bible as well as hundreds of etchings and drawings. Now, unlike Van Gogh, who you remember last week was a very sad story, right? Because <laughs> he, he never really, he sold like one painting in his entire life, and he was always poor, and no one recognized him. And he died very tragically. Well, unlike Van Gogh, Rembrandt actually experienced incredible success. He sold his paintings at a huge sum. He actually had one of the highest incomes of any artist in his day because he was prolific and he charged a hefty amount. He also married the love of his wife, life, Sashkia. And she was his muse, and you can see paintings of her. Her face appears in various paintings and etchings and and drawings. And so he was a man who seemed to have it all. But they lost their first three children just days or months after each birth. And only nine months after the birth of their fourth child, Titus, Sashka died, leaving not only a bereaved Rembrandt, but a completely broke Rembrandt. Because even though he earned a lot of money, he spent way beyond his means. Not only was he generous in giving and, and, and buying things for other people, but he was also a very lavish and very impulsive spender. He loved collecting things, whether it was paintings of others or, you know, antiques and etc. cetera. And, um, so he would spend way too much money. He bought a huge, expensive house that he couldn't afford. He used to buy his wife tons of jewelry. He had large to declare bankruptcy. So they took everything he had, all his paintings, all his furniture, all his collection, divided up, He became homeless and destitute. Furthermore, after his wife's death, he went into relationships with first his son's nanny and then later a maid. And this scandal decreased his popularity even more. And so even though he tried to sell, no one wanted to buy his paintings anymore. He was a man who had wasted his wealth and opportunities with prodigal living. And now he was poor and ashamed, and where could he go? He had nothing to pass on to his son Titus or to his two illegitimate daughters through his mistresses. Then in 1668, his son Titus died, leaving a broken Rembrandt to paint this last painting, The Return of the Prodigal Son. A parable of forgiveness and redemption. The son, his head shaven in humiliation and poverty, his clothes and his sandals tattered and worn, buries his face in his father's embrace, knowing he is safe at last. Rembrandt died a year after his son in 1669. His death unmarked by any of his peers, none of the local papers, buried in an unmarked rented grave, which meant, you know, if you're wondering what does it mean to rent a grave, it means that they bury you, then after a few years they dig you out and they use that grave for someone else because there was no money to pay for his grave, no money to pay for his tombstone. So to this day, we don't know where Rembrandt is buried and that we, they have not found his remains. But if the parable and the painting have any truth to them, this is not the end of Rembrandt's story. Just like all of our stories, there will be another chapter on resurrection morning when Jesus comes to take us home. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 onwards say, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The last painting of Rembrandt is a picture of grace. Grace is that undeserved compassion and kindness that embraces us as we are and lavishes us with love and joy. It's a portrait of a God who longs to have an intimate, personal relationship with us. It's a picture of a God who welcomes us with open arms and invites us into a story of redemption. So that no matter how our story seems to ourselves or to other people, No matter how much success or loss we have experienced, how much pleasure or pain, our story ends with hope. That is the legacy of Rembrandt. That is the story of Christianity. And that is what I invite you to explore. Will you please join us now as we sing our closing song? Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for being our parent, being our father, being like our mother, loving us and comforting us and welcoming us home anytime. Father, help us to know that wherever we are in that journey, however much failure or success we've had, that we can always come back to you. And I pray, Lord, that if, if there's anyone here or anyone watching or listening who have yet to make that decision to come home, that your Holy Spirit would, would bring them back. Father, I want to pray for those who may be struggling, resisting, feeling lost, feeling far. I pray that not only will your Holy Spirit comfort them and walk with them, but that you would help us to be the bridge to help them come back. Father, we thank you for this special weekend. Um, We ask for your Holy Spirit to strengthen all the mothers. We need you to teach us what it means to love. We pray in your son's name. Amen.